Good evening, and welcome to the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. If you're a first-time listener or a returning veteran who has yet to do so, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. We're available wherever you are, 24-7, five days a week. Or, if you prefer to listen to the podcast on the weekend, be sure to check us out then. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking about how the Jets had a really great weekend that might just save their season, because it's not just the Jets doing well that has suddenly put them back on the path towards, well, dare I say a playoff spot? I'm going to use that word. I'm feeling excited. I'm hoping that you might be feeling a little more enthusiastic about Jets hockey. Let's go. First up on the docket is a game that I didn't actually get to see, so I'll keep my summary of this one a little bit brief. From everything I've heard, Winnipeg against the Ottawa Senators on this past Saturday was not quite as good as the scoreline looked. The Jets, they weren't bad, they just weren't really amazing against a team that's fairly weak at this point. I think everyone can admit that the Ottawa Senators have have fallen pretty far off from the team of 2014-15 that made that magical playoff run behind uh, Andrew Hammond. Even the team a couple of seasons ago that made the playoffs with uh, Derek Broussard just hasn't really been around for a while, and the Sens are definitely retooling and rebuilding, so, you know, you do understand why they're, they're struggling so mightily this season. Even so, they're definitely not the worst team in the NHL, and sometimes they actually play pretty fun hockey. Against this Jets defense, which is error-prone and and doesn't really cover the low slot area, the Suns did actually get a couple of scoring opportunities. Thankfully, Ottawa was only able to put two goals away, one of them on a beautiful individual effort from Jean-Gabriel Pajot. But, you know, when you have the Jets who maybe don't play all that well, but have a power play that at any point can light it up, that's really what you count on for the Jets, because uh, you had Laurent Brassois in that, and Brassois has really had a rough season so far. He has really kind of fallen off from his last year's performance, which is not surprising because Bersois' career, especially with Edmonton, was, I thought he was a little bit underappreciated in Edmonton, but sometimes he also has some really bad habits and techniques that he picked up from there, and every now and then you see those in his games with the Jets. Finally, however, Winnipeg's power play, which has been a little bit stagnant as of late, finally started clicking with uh, Patrick Liney collecting his hat trick, which he really hasn't had that many of this season. In fact, Liney's goal totals up to this point have actually been pretty modest. I think he's sitting around 24 or 25 as of today. And Liney is, is obviously growing his game in so many other capacities. You know, he's he's assisting on tons of goals, he's setting up scoring opportunities, he's making very smart passes, his defensive reads have improved. Everything in Liney's game has grown, but unfortunately it's often come at the cost of his goal scoring because either his teammates don't feed him enough, or instead of shooting, he's opting to pass more often. If anyone desperately deserved a hat trick more than Patrick Laine, especially on this Jets team, I'd be shocked, because Patrick has worked as hard as anyone else, in fact, more so than a lot of the veteran guys, I feel, and has really put in the effort to become like a a true dominant power forward. Even though he's not really that kind of player, he's tried to expand his his tool sets and his on-ice performance to match something closer to that. He's actually become a really finesse playmaker, which is something that I don't think gets talked about enough. He was trying to work on those techniques last season, although the on-ice outcomes were, shall we say, less than stellar. And, you know, it's hard to blame him for it because he was asked to do all these neutral zone transitions, carry the puck into the offensive zone, 
and basically set up everyone else while he himself ended up getting taken out of the plays. He, of course, did not react super well to that actually calling out Brian Little a little bit, even though I don't think he specifically meant that Little is the source of all of his frustrations, but he's saying he wanted to play with top players like Mark Shifley. And so this year he get his wish, and, and now he's been performing at an elite level, especially as far as Winnipeg's forwards are concerned, um, at even strength. He's been scuffling on the power play, but again, it's not really his fault. You know, Neil Pionk, Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, these guys just aren't getting the puck fast enough to him, so his goal scoring on the special teams units have definitely gone down. But finally, he started to hit pay dirt on this power play uh, opportunities against the Sens, although he scored a number of goals that he doesn't usually do. One of them was like a tipped deflection, another was like a rebound opportunity around the net. These are goals that are not really associated with the game that Line A plays. When he scores in the power play, it's usually smacking it in from the left faceoff circle. So for him, this is kind of interesting. He's not a guy who's been known to get into small spaces around the net and really score dirty goals or look for greasy tips and things. It's not that he can't do it, and he's definitely done it before. It's just not a big characteristic of his game. So it's kind of interesting to see that, once again, he's trying new things, and maybe the coaching staff has asked him to switch places and stuff on the power play. I honestly hate when they do that because it usually takes away from the the one thing that the power play is supposed to rely on is his booming slap shot or wrister from the distance. What the special teams unit can probably be thankful for is the fact that Liney has some of the best hand-eye coordination of anyone in the NHL, so if you put him in front of the net like a, I guess a net front screen with a tipping presence, he can do that. If you need him to corral a loose puck around the net and score a rebound, he can do that. He's got all sorts of tools and, and really filthy stick handling to make sure that the puck gets in the back of the net. It's just that I don't really feel that that's the optimal way to use him. Again, though, Line just continues to surprise me and, and find ways to really get the job done, even if he himself is not the one directly scoring. But for once, he got rewarded for his efforts, collected a nice hat trick. Laurent Persuol was pretty decent, it sounds like. And so it's continuing a recent trend of the Jets doing enough to get things done. I would say that over the past couple of weeks, they've looked pretty respectable, especially against some pretty decent teams. I thought that the games against the Blues were surprisingly decent. I mean, look, the West is kind of a trash fire, right? But, like, the Blues are a pretty solid team, especially on the defensive side. So if you can cut apart that structure in front of Jordan Bennington and really get into the low slot areas and really attack that central zone, I think that, that speaks a lot to Winnipeg's ability to actually create offense when they're aggressive. This team can be good, they just haven't consistently shown it enough yet. But, you know, the Sens game doesn't necessarily continue that trend 100%. Yet, it's certainly better than where the Jets were a few months ago, where they just kind of shelled up and really didn't do anything. Ottawa can kind of hit you on fast, speedy counters and cause a little bit of uh, offensive zone chaos if you have defensemen who are slow and don't handle a lot of pre-shot movement well. If all of that sounds familiar, it's because you've been watching Winnipeg's defense for like the past half a season, so obviously the Sens are not exactly an easy walkover opponent. They may be weak for everyone else, but for the Jets, not exactly an easy test. Winnipeg's next test, however, on the, the following night on Sunday, was actually significantly harder because this team had been coming on to a little bit of a wildcard playoff hunt. I wouldn't say that this team was really in it, but, you know, it. given how bad the West is and how open this wildcard race has been, I feel like the team that they played on Sunday was actually a lot more into it than you might expect. This team, of course, being the Chicago Blackhawks, who, if you told me they would be competing for a playoff spot this season, I'd probably have just lost my mind. But 
here we are, because the West sucks, the race is wide open, and this was once again a pivotal matchup for the Jets and the Blackhawks equally. After a competent, if kind of, uh, well, a little worrying performance against the Ottawa Senators, the Jets had a tougher test than the Chicago Blackhawks, especially coming back um, for a, a back-to-back game, which is always a little bit tough, no matter how much rest you've had, because you're, you're going to have rougher skating legs, you'll probably feel a little bit mentally out of it. It's just tough to have a quick turnaround like that and be at your best in a, in a, in a book-ended game. So I didn't have huge expectations, but I did think that maybe, just maybe we'd get a little bit more from the Jets who are now feeling like, you know, they can maybe chase down a playoff spot and put in a good effort against a team that, frankly, is inferior in most respects. Of course, no sooner do I say that than the Jets gave up two very quick goals on some extremely sloppy defensive plays, the first one coming within, like, the first 15 or 20 seconds, and this one is ugly because I'm, I'm not really sure what exactly happened. There was kind of like a pass from behind the net after all of these jet skaters were kind of hanging around the defensive zone. No one seemed to know where the puck was. No one seemed to know that I think it was Dylan Strom was streaking in. No one's looking for those uh, one-time options in front of the net. Just a really weird sequence where it didn't seem like Winnipeg knew that the game had started. A few minutes later, the top line, which hasn't exactly been a defensive juggernaut this season because Kyle Connor just doesn't defend and neither does Mark Shifley apparently, got caught on a bad sequence where Line A, I think, was trying to swap between his assignments because I'm not really sure where Shifley was. But either way, Brandon Saad comes streaking into the center slot after collecting a pass, and and Shifley really could have made some kind of a play. Like, I would have preferred that he takes a penalty or even a penalty shot than just letting Brandon Saad walk in on Connor Hellebuck. Like, why would you ever do that? You just, at the professional level of hockey, if you don't even attempt to make a stick poke or even skate to keep up at a reasonable clip. I mean, it's just, it's not good enough, man. I, I don't even know what to say. I love Mark Shifley, but his defensive effort this season has been almost non-existent, and I really feel like that part of his game has gone like the way of the dodo, and it's it's very puzzling because it should have been something that Shifley, as the first-line center, maintains a, a good head on his shoulders and responsibility of. I mean, this is his job. It's part of his main task set. And for him to not even put in the effort to back check and even attempt to disrupt the play is, in my book, kind of inexcusable. I'm not going to harsh on it too much, but this is a recurring trend with him, and I'm a little concerned that he's maybe not taking the defensive side of things too seriously. Maybe it's because he's confused about his coverages, but in this situation, I just didn't feel like there was enough effort overall, and I feel like that's happened on a number of sequences this year where he just doesn't look... I wouldn't say that he does, doesn't care, but I would call it like defensive indifference. In all sports, you see guys like this who tend to take off on defensive backtracks or back checks and, and defensive shifts, and they focus more on the offensive side of things. But if you have the play, if you have the angle, if you can make at least a little bit of an attempt to disrupt it, then why not do it? Instead, they conceded an ugly goal. The Jets looked like they had no idea what was going on. They were getting badly outshot. They were getting um, outchanced on almost every possible aspect of the game. They were second best to pucks. They really couldn't get any you know, offensive zone transitions and breakouts. I was deeply concerned that this was going to be a, a bit of an embarrassing loss because it's not like the Jets haven't had issues facing the Hawks this season. I think they've lost two of the three previous matchups, so not really an ideal situation. But thankfully, the Hawks then got a power play, which you would think, oh, this is bad for the Jets. Apparently not, though. The Chicago 
power play unit was really terrible. And on one of the misplayed passes, I'm not sure if it was Jonathan Taves or Eric Gustafson, but somebody tried to feed it back to the point. Andrew Kopp and Kyle Connor kind of recognized that the pass was a little bit soft because it just sort of floated towards the point. And I think Kopp picked it off and went streaking down, you know, on a two-on-one. Kopp played one of the best passes I've ever seen. He almost flipped the puck right to Kyle Connor. Connor one-times it for a beautiful shorthanded goal, and just like that, the Jets are back in it. Of course, playing on the PK is not exactly a great thing. You have to actually show that you can come back on the even-strength side of things, and at that, the Jets started to look like a real NHL team again. They didn't score for the rest of the first period, but they looked very resurgent. They looked like they'd finally gotten, I don't know if they'd snorted or, or injected some smelling salts and gotten back to things, but they looked more like they should have and how they should have kind of started the game off, which... Alright, if you start slow and you kind of come back and bring yourself back into it, as long as you keep it within reason, especially on a back-to-back, fine, I I can live with it. This is still the Jets. They still have defensive issues. I get why they surrendered the goals against. Preferred a little more defensive acumen and effort, at least effort, if nothing else. But, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. What I will say, though, is, you know, (laughs) I kind of got nervous because the Jets have had an issue with starting games and they looked you know, overwhelmed in in several circumstances, especially right at the start of puck drop. This isn't, of course, the first time it's happened, and you really don't want to be chasing games when you're at home and you have an opportunity to really stamp your mark on the playoff race. Because of all of the other teams in the West not really doing that well over the past couple of games, the Jets have a genuine opportunity to seize something that I really didn't think would be possible this year with the way that they've played. They've started looking more like an NHL team, more like you know, maybe an average squad, but an average squad with really great shooting talent and great goaltending, and that's enough to get you pretty far in the playoffs this year. With Nashville continually stumbling, and right now they're actually losing to Vancouver as we speak, the Jets have a genuine opportunity to to kind of collect themselves, get to a wild card spot, and really push this playoff race in a direction that I don't think any of us were anticipating. Do I think that they're like a, a really strong buyer? No, probably not. But I think that they can ride the talent that they have and make some noise, and I think that that's probably the best outcome. But of course, the Blackhawks were still sitting in front of them, and it was a lot of game left, I mean two whole periods, and we've all seen that the Jets, even with a lead, they kind of shell up and start struggling immediately, so, you know, this was certainly not an assured thing. One thing that is assured, however, is advertiser satisfaction with the Locked On Podcast Network. If you've been listening for a while and you're a local business owner, you've no doubt heard about the many advertising opportunities that local businesses have with the Locked On Podcast Network. What you may not know is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is the perfect opportunity for your local business to reach out to local Winnipeg Jets fans who are as passionate as you are. Unlike any other podcast on the market, Locked On gives your local business the ability to reach local Winnipeg fans on a routine basis. These aren't just any podcast listeners, they're Locked On Podcast listeners. If your company wants to connect with Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then please feel free to drop us a line. Fans always love supporting nearby local businesses. If you'd like more information, be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockdownPodcasts.com advertising and drop us a line. Our team will work with you step-by-step to achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success possible. Once again, be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. As you might have guessed, I'm always a little bit worried about uh, assurances with the Winnipeg Jets because, let's be honest, this team has not exactly been great at giving us top-tier efforts, holding on to leads, 
yada yada yada, you get the idea. And here the Jets come into periods two and three with a, a one one goal deficit, and essentially the playoffs are on the line at this point. Obviously, there's still a lot of games left in the season, and the Jets will have more opportunities to get standings points, especially with the West being as much of a dumpster fire as it is. But for the Jets, this is about as good of an opportunity as you're going to get. A, a six-game slate of teams that are well below the playoff line or right behind the Jets in the standings as far as like a wild card race is concerned, this is the time when the Jets can put away some of their competitors or beat up on teams that frankly are are nowhere near the level of talent and at the peak of, of performance. And thankfully, for once, the Jets were more than up to the task for uh, putting this one away, really. It started off with a nice Blake Wheeler power play goal. The power play had run a little bit dry after having a bunch of success against the Sens, which is is understandable. I mean, the Chicago Blackhawks' PK is not exactly great, but neither is the Jets' power play unit. That said, Wheeler pulled off a really vintage right-wing rush that we haven't seen from him in, like, two whole seasons, man. It's been years since he's looked this fast. You remember those days during 2014-15 when he could just bum-rush somebody and, and beat him from the outside and cut in with a power drive to the net and then pull off this beautiful top-shelf snipe. That's basically what he did in this goal, and it's something that we haven't seen enough of. It was really cool because Connor Hellebuck actually got himself a nice little assist, um, and Neil Pionk had an assist on a pretty great pass to the neutral zone that actually started all the way um, around Hellebuck's net. It was a pretty nice goal because Wheeler hasn't been shooting as much on the power play, and he tends to be a little bit static to me when he's on special teams. This was definitely not one of those moments, though, and it was kind of nice to see a vintage Wheeler goal from back in his glory days. I know that we won't have too many opportunities to see that again, but it's nice to know that every now and then he can pull something like that off. While I've talked at length about the Jets being pretty open and attacking in this game, I really feel like one line in particular needs to be mentioned, and it's a line that's been carrying the Jets for a couple of games now, and that is the Roslovic, Kopp, and Harkins line, which if you've read any of my recaps in Arctic Ice Hockey, you'll find out that that line tends to get a lot of praise from me. Andrew Kopp is really at the center of it all, pardon the pun, because he has been one of the best player drivers for this Jets team. He's had an aggressive forecheck, He's made really great, smart passes. He's putting shots on goal from really dangerous angles. And even though he's kind of whiffed on a few opportunities, I feel like it's no more whiffing than you see from most goal scorers. It's just that he doesn't have as many opportunities to to score. So when he does miss, especially on like an open net, some people are going to hold that a little more against him. And yeah, Andrew Kopp is not really like a sniper, okay? He's going to make mistakes. He might muffle a, a bit of a shot every now and then. Although it's a lot of pressure for a guy his age, especially when your opportunities to score don't come quite as frequently as the top six. That said, Cop was a man possessed last night, and he already had a beautiful PK assist on the shorthanded goal to Connor. And again, he found himself in a really soft spot, cutting between Chicago defenders and almost driving towards the net, but sort of sneaking in between. And Roslovic kind of noticed him, sent him a nice little pass from, I think, the right flank, found Cop coming in on the left side, and then Cop closes the distance to the Corey Crawford's net, and then just absolutely roofs one between, I think, Crawford's shoulder and the top post. It's the kind of well-worked, well-conceived, well-thought-out, well-executed sequence where you just... You, all you can do is stand and cheer for it. I mean, MTS was louder than I've heard it in months. And that goal just felt like it was the perfect cherry on top of what had already been a pretty entertaining comeback performance from the Jets. In previous outings, the Jets have relied a lot more on luck and goaltending, but tonight the Jets actually looked like a real NHL squad playing a competitive game 
and doing the things that they needed to do to pull out a win and get a result in their hunt for the playoffs. Line A and Connor kind of iced it on some empty net goals, and that was pretty much it. I mean, the Jets had a really strong performance. Connor Hellebuck was pretty, you know, pretty good in net. He had a lot of weird, tough shots to take care of, especially from, like, the low central slot, you know, net front area from the side of the net, just really tight shots, a couple of, of dangerous opportunities, and uh, at least one or two robberies here and there that kept the Jets within this one. So, all in all, a really good performance. I feel like Winnipeg might, maybe the All-Star break turned this ship around. I don't know. This team looks very different from the first half of the season. And at this point, you know, the playoffs really aren't out of the question. Micah Blake McCurdy still has them at like a 44% chance to make the postseason as of this morning. But I feel like with how bad the West is and the fact that the Jets have enough goal scoring and goaltending to, to ride a few, let's say, rougher patches, the Jets might be decent enough to make some noise. I, I don't know that it's certain. I really don't. But if they make the first round and they get someone like Vancouver, that's a matchup that they can handle. If they got a, a bit of a tougher opponent, I don't know. Calgary and Vegas might be an issue. Vegas in particular would be death for this team. I'd also hate to see either one of Dallas or St. Louis, and I feel like St. Louis is a slightly easier opponent just because I think the Jets match up better against that style of play. But Dallas and Vegas are both issues because they have really fast transitions and counters that the Jets always have trouble anticipating and dealing with. Calgary is a hot mess, but occasionally their forward skill can also cause the Jets issues. It's just that, generally speaking, this season has not been particularly great for the Flames. So, Winnipeg might not be worried about them as much as they worry about someone like Vegas and Dallas. Both those teams play a really scrappy, really quick counter, and those are absolutely the worst ways for the Jets to lose because inevitably they struggle to handle that forechecking pressure. Alright guys, I hope you enjoyed these recaps. Uh, Be sure to look out this week because we may have an interesting episode on this coming Wednesday. Not guaranteed yet, but we'll see. If it doesn't happen this Wednesday, be sure to look for it on this coming Saturday. It should be an interview with the Game Worn Collector and a couple of stories, so be sure to tune in. There might be some fun stories from the NHL collecting days and interactions with pro players, especially enforcers, that you might want to hear about. As always, thanks again for listening. Have a great evening, and go Jets go!